Welcome back. I am so glad that you're hanging in there and staying committed to the challenge of re-engage and the challenge of marriage. That's what you call real commitment. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. Commitment. The promise you made on your wedding day was a mere reflection of the big promise that God made to you at the beginning of time when he designed everything, including the covenant of marriage. Here's Ryan. When we got married, Brandy and I kind of assumed, we assumed commitment. We assumed it was something that, you know, oh yes, we both value commitment, no problem. Despite the fact that both Brandy and I came from families where commitment wasn't really valued. And this topic hits near and dear to us. When we got married, we, we were a little daunted by the fact that except for our grandparents, everybody in our family, it seemed like had been married and divorced and remarried to divorced people. Even a sibling, uh, one of our siblings, that had been the case. It seems like almost everybody, every marriage that we knew of in our families was a, was a display, a demonstration of why marriage doesn't work. But we had hope that we would be different because we were the only evangelical Bible-believing Christians in our family. So we thought, well, we're probably, probably gonna be different. Well, we got married in 2003, and it was probably within a couple of years that we had just hit a good number of difficulties and we were disillusioned with each other, with, with marriage. And we, it wasn't long before we reached a point where we were kind of saying to ourselves, oh, that's why our aunts and our uncles and our parents, and that's why all these people are getting divorced. We, we would have been ready to bail ourselves if it weren't for this topic. The fact is that God calls us to be unconditionally committed to each other. We're called into a commitment. You know, we, if you're married, you most likely st- st- stood in front of your, your spouse and recited vows like this, I, Ryan, take you, Brandy, to be my wedded wife, to have and to hold from this day forward for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. This I do promise in covenant before God and these witnesses according to God's holy word. You know, when we stand there and we say our vows, we say for better or for worse, but I don't know if we really mean it. Do we really get married for worse? Do we really get married for poor? We're hoping that our lives are gonna improve when we get married, but there's no guarantee and there's no clause that says, you know, if it doesn't get better, if it gets worse, you're, you're, you got a free pass. No, we're, we, we stand there in, in this vow with this commitment. We're saying, even if things get worse, I'm committed to you. I'm, I'm going to love you. I'm going to stay. That runs counter to everything in us, though. And marriage tests that. Our vows get tested. You know, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Meaning of Marriage. And early on, and he, has a, uh, he cites a, a statistic. A survey was done or some sort of study was done where they, they found couples that were ready to divorce. They found out that of those couples that were ready to call it quits, the ones that stayed together, they found out that within five years of that point, 
80% of them reported being very happy in their marriage. So within, within five years, they go from they're ready to call it quits to being very happy. If it weren't for the binding nature of commitment, these people wouldn't have experienced something beautiful on the other end of this difficult, difficult season. God has something good for us in our marriages, but we'll never experience what that is unless we value and hold to this idea of commitment. But I believe that none of us are really ultimately able to commit. I mean, when you really get down to it, we need a supernatural power. We need a supernatural understanding of what it means to commit and why we commit. And we also need God and his love in us to be able to commit like this. So the first point I wanna make in our first blank here is that true commitment in marriage is a mark and it's a product really of divine covenant. Commitment does not originate with us. It can't. And I would say this as well, Love doesn't really originate in us. It doesn't come from us. The true source of covenant love, of committed love, is God's covenantal love. There's a, there's a psalm that I want to pull up here. It's Psalm 117, and it has a word that points to this covenant love of God. Psalm 117 is the shortest psalm in the Bible. It says this, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us and the faithfulness of the Lord endures forever. Praise the Lord. Now, he says for great, the reason we praise the Lord, the first reason he gives is great is his steadfast love toward us. Steadfast love is the word hesed. Hesed, it, that word means it, it, the most faithful translation would be it's the loyal love of God. Hesed is a word that shows up, it's almost 200 times in the Old Testament and it describes the way God loves us. His love is absolutely loyal, steadfast. It's, it's industrial strength. Nothing can break his commitment, his love toward us. He is generous in the way he loves us. He's extravagant, uncalculating love, meaning it almost like he's, it looks like he's recklessly loving sinners like, like you and me. If you're familiar with the, with uh, the book of Hosea, Hosea is, is a, he's one of the prophets that God calls to uh, marry a, a prostitute essentially named Gomer. Now it's bad enough to be marrying someone named Gomer, but this is a woman that, <laughs> I'm sorry if your name's Gomer, but this is a woman who is, that God says, this, she's going to cheat on you. She's going to be unfaithful to you. And you're going to experience what it's like to have faithful love to a person who's unfaithful. God has faithful, committed love to, to us, to his children, even despite the fact that we are adulterers, that we love other things more than him that we chase and serve things other than him. God is over and over being offended by our unfaithfulness and yet he remains committed and faithful. You know, I think some people, when they think of God's love, they kind of think, yeah, so, sure, God loves me. He loves everybody, right? We're not gonna appreciate God's loyal love unless we understand two things. One, God is not obligated to love us. He doesn't love just because he's love. He, he doesn't just, he's not forced to love us. 
he's not obligated to love us. And two, we don't deserve his love. He's not obligated and we're not deserving. Let me illustrate it with this. Let's say you have these different people. You, you, the guy on the left, you hire this guy to, to paint your house. Now he comes, he paints your house, he does a good job. You pay him. You're obligated to pay him and he deserves it. He did a good job. Now take the next guy over. Um, this guy is a Sunday school teacher. We know that because he's wearing a sweater. Now he serves your kids and then after a season he retires, maybe he's moving and you decide to throw him a party. He's deserving of that party, but you're not obligated to, to throw him a party. Okay, over here now you've got a cop. I guess that's a cop, but let's say he pulls you over, you were speeding, but he pulls you over and he's just rude. He might be a jerk, but you know what? While he may not be deserving of your polite compliance, you're obligated, he's a cop. But now we've got this guy, angry man on the phone here. He's your neighbor. He's absolutely inconsiderate and rude. He, he parks, it blocks your driveway. He leaves trash on your lawn. He plays music really loudly and he's just overall belligerent. Then when you decide to uh, play some light music, you know, you just barely have it on. He can hear it a little bit. He calls the cops on you. The guy's undeserving and unobligated of your kindness. But let's say he gets sick and you decide to make some chicken noodle soup and bake some you know, brown, uh, I don't know, chocolate chip cookies. I'm obviously making this up, but you decide to make, you know, give him a, a, a treat and you bring it over to him. That kind of kindness is being given to a person who's, who, who's undeserving and you are certainly not obligated to give that kindness. We won't appreciate God's love until we realize that we are this guy. We don't deserve God's love and he is not obligated to give it. We actually deserve his judgment. And if we were following the logic, it would seem that God would be obligated to judge us. God loves us in an extravagant way because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. And his loyal love, his commitment to us should amaze you and me. It should soften our hearts. It should make us a little more like him and our ability to show covenant love, faithful, committed love to our spouses. So, God's love for us is rooted in who he is, not in who we are. Therefore, our love for our spouse is not to be rooted in who our spouse is, nor is it rooted in who we are. It's rooted in who God is. So that first point, true commitment in marriage, it's a mark of divine covenant. I always want to remind people in a, in a marriage, in a wedding, when I, when I officiate weddings, that when people stand before one another and they commit to one another, that they're not just making promises to one another, but really they're entering into a covenant with God. That a good marriage is a commitment, is a covenant between three people. It's not a contract between two people because this is something that is based on God's overall covenant love and it's to be reflected in our marriages. So, Biblically speaking, there's a, there, there's a verse, it's Ephesians 5.31. And this is where we find this idea of commitment between a man and his wife. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother 
and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This commitment, what it looks like between a husband and a wife, is seen in this image of a man shall leave his father and mother and be united, be joined together. The American Standard Version translated, it translates it as he shall cleave to his wife. It means to be bound to, to become one. When you enter into a marriage, when you, you commit, you become one flesh with your wife, never to be separated. So I want to define what covenant commitment is. And this is in your notes. The marriage covenant commitment looks like this. The marriage covenant is intended by God to be a lifelong fruitful relationship between a man and a woman. Marriage is a public vow to God and to one another to remain steadfast in unconditional love, reconciliation, and sexual purity while purposefully growing in the covenant marriage relationship. Hear this. It's a public vow to God to remain steadfast in unconditional love. You're going to love without condition. And we'll talk about that a little more. You're going to be committed to reconciling Meaning, when you enter into that commitment, you're not just saying that if you go through a hard season, well, we will just settle for being roommates. No, to reconcile is to be made one again, to be brought back to, to, together. So if there's a rift, to be committed means you're committed to reconciling, to sexual purity. Why do we guard our eyes? Why do we watch the way we interact with the opposite sex? Because we commit to sexual purity. We, we commit to keeping our affections for our spouse alone. These are just some of the elements of what this commitment looks like. Covenant commitment puts the good of your relationship above everything else. Now, there's a lot that I can go into, but I wanna, what I want to do is actually just compare commitment to a few other things to lift up what, what commitment actually means. Commitment, the way God wants us to commit, is bigger, it's better, and it's stronger than chemistry. That's the first contrast. Commitment is bigger and better than chemistry. When we're called to be committed, it means God wants us to live off of something bigger than our feelings. There are seasons where you don't feel in love with your spouse. Doesn't matter. You, to re, you are to remain committed. Commitment is a choice. Chemistry is a feeling. I would say chemistry is like the em empty carbs, but commitment is like the protein. Because uh, a really good relationship will be built off of commitment. Anybody can have chemistry for a season, but chemistry by nature will come and go. We need to learn to treat our feelings and, and chemistry. It's the icing on the cake. The commitment is, is the cake. All right, next thing. Commitment is bigger and better and stronger than the changing seasons that every marriage goes through. You're committed to your spouse no matter who they are in this particular season. What I mean by saying who they are is if you've married somebody who's probably have changed through the, through the seasons. I don't know if you've ever heard people say this, you're not the same person that I married. As if when, when, when I stood and I said, I, I promise to love you for better or for worse, that I meant that as long as you don't change, I promise to love you. That's, that's not commitment. Seasons change and the changing seasons change us. In fact, simply getting married changes you. 
we grow, we have, um, with, through all those different changes, we're not committed to a person in a frozen time frame of, of their life. We're committed to a person through the changing seasons and we're committed to seeing them as they grow up into maturity, into, into Christ-likeness. But we even are committed to them when they fall away. So commitment is bigger than the, bigger than the changing seasons. Next, commitment is bigger than conditions. We need to learn to radically reject if-then reasoning. You know, you only do your part as long as the other person keeps their end of the bargain. That's a contract. I will love you. I will respect you. I will whatever. I will do that as long as, as you're being lovable or respectable. That's a contract. Contracts are based on, uh, they're based on protection, self-protection and mistrust. Like my relationship with, a, with a, a going to a grocery store, that is uh, a contract in the sense of I will go to a certain grocery store as long as they're selling the stuff that I want to buy and it's at a price that I like. As long as there isn't a grocery store that's more convenient and better priced, you know, has better prices, until there's something bigger and better comes along, I'm moving on to that thing. It's, it's, a, it's based on what's convenient, what works for me. Covenant is bigger than that if it's for better or if it's for worse, if it's for richer or for poorer. We need to radically reject conditions. Last comparison here. Commitment is bigger and better than personal contentment. The main goal of marriage is not our personal happiness. It's our holiness. And I see God's goodness in this because the road to happiness is not always what we think it's supposed to be. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man but its end is the way to death. We want to be happy. And if we're looking to our marriages to make, our, make, make us happy, then, you know, that might work for certain seasons. But when our spouses don't make us happy, when our marriages don't make us happy, we're going to pursue, if we pursue happiness by leaving, we're actually, we think we're pursuing our happiness, but we're actually entering into our own misery. It, it, not being committed hollows us out. It robs us of something, of a joy and of a blessing that God wants to give us. Like I said earlier, 80% of couples that stay together through the hardest seasons, when they're ready to call it quits, when they remain together, 80% of those people are very happy within five years. To me, this, just, this whole idea of commitment, of covenant love, it points me to the amazing goodness of God. God has created a context in marriage for two radically flawed people. <laughs> I believe we're all radically flawed. He's created a place for flawed people to come together in a space of stability, of love, of reconciliation. He's given us in marriage a haven in a heartless world because the rest of the world outside of marriage and outside of, like, say, family relationships, the rest of the world really only knows about contractual commitment. You know, that I will remain in this as long as it works for me. Now, this is a reflection of the kind of commitment God has given to us in Christ. Our marriages are to be a re reflection of that. And the thing is, the commitment, the covenant love that God gives us, it changes us. It transforms us. And the same thing is supposed to be happening between you and your spouse.
that when you love through these difficult seasons, you learn to be unconditional and you learn to reconcile and remain faithful. Those things transform not just your marriage, it transforms you, it makes you more holy. Commitment doesn't just apply to the highs and lows of marriage. You know, I've been using these radical examples when, when you want, you're ready to call it quits. The truth is commitment, it must exist in the ordinary, everyday ways we demonstrate our love. When your spouse doesn't greet you the way you hoped to be greeted when you walk in the door, that's an opportunity to demonstrate commitment that you're going to be loving anyways. You're not going to you're not going to get them back by the way you, you, you kind of turn cold or you don't get revenge in, in little subtle ways. Like we can, we can show commitment in everyday ordinary ways. If we learn to do that in the ordinary places that we live, it makes it easier to show true commitment in the extraordinary times where we really need to, to lean on this idea. Let me close with three practical ways to be committed. One, Protect your marriage through self-control. You know, there's a defensive way we do this. Uh, Hebrews 13.4, we're called to keep the marriage bed pure. We're to, like I mentioned earlier, guard your eyes. Have accountability, accountability in your life. Be aware of who you're talking to. You know, just protecting the sacredness of your marriage. That's a form of commitment. There's an offensive way to do it too. You be, you, 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 that's defense. The offense is to love and serve your spouse, uh, to be romantic, to, uh, to give yourselves to each other. Second point, pursue your spouse in all seasons. Meaning that in those seasons where you don't feel it, there's the chemistry is not there, you don't feel in love, choose to show love. Choose to pursue your wife. Choose to honor and respect and pursue your husband, even when they're distant. When you choose to be romantic, you'll find that the feelings follow. I think God has wired us that way, that our feelings follow our choices. So pursue your spouse in all seasons. I stress all seasons because nobody needs to be challenged to pursue their spouses when things are wonderful. We do that naturally. We need to do it when it's not feeling wonderful. Last, focus on the shared goal of knowing Jesus. You know, if you aren't looking to Jesus for your hope and your happiness and your joy, you're likely gonna look to your spouse or you might look to your job or you might look to your kids. You're gonna look somewhere else. If you're not both looking at Christ, you're gonna put an expectation on your spouse that your spouse was not meant to live up to. Your spouse can't make you happy. Or if you're looking to your job, your job wasn't meant to make you happy. I'll put it this way. Our spouses make lousy saviors. Our jobs make lousy saviors. Our kids make lousy saviors. They were never meant to rescue us or to give us life. But when we look to Jesus, we begin, we begin to find that he never lets us down. We find our joy and our hope and our happiness in Him. We begin to move closer to Him. And when you have a person, two people, and they're both looking to Jesus, they begin to move closer to each other because Jesus has a way of bringing two people closer together when they're drawing closer to Him. Focus on the shared goal of knowing Jesus. 
And remember that this commitment that you have with your spouse, it's meant to be reflect, a reflection, an outworking of the commitment and the love that God has given you in Jesus Christ. When we commit, honestly, the world sees a picture of Christ's love that it cannot imitate anywhere else. It doesn't see it anywhere else. So let me pray that we can be committed like this. Father, thank you so much for calling us to commitment, calling us to a commitment that we can't do on our own. And I thank you that you don't just tell us from afar how we're supposed to be committed. You actually entered in to to the mess of of our sin and you showed what commitment looks like ultimately. You sacrificed, Jesus sacrificed his life for us. And now the loyal love of God is, is given to us perfectly, that we know that you're committed to us through it all. Lord, would you teach us to bask in that so that we can be committed to our spouses no matter what our marriages have thrown at us. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen.